0: Thanks very much. Hi, good evening. Well, uh, back in 1915 in the First World War, there was a Canadian doctor and soldier called John McCrae, And uh, he lost a friend at the Second Battle of Ypres. And he buried him, he took his funeral, and at the funeral he he was really amazed uh, to see poppies growing really rapidly around the graves. Nothing else grew around there, but poppies did. Uh, and the next day he was sitting in the back of his field ambulance, and he was getting inspired to write a poem, and he did write a poem which many of us know. It starts with these words, in Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. And uh, and many people uh, were really moved by this poem, and at the end of, this, uh, end of the First World War, the British Legion took it up uh, as the British Legion was formed, uh, and they... They started to see the poppy as a symbol uh, of ultimate sacrifice and of uh, freedom and peace and hope as well, um, and it is a it is a very powerful symbol of remembrance uh, and also of hope in all kinds of countries, particularly in the Commonwealth. Now. The thing is, if someone time-traveled from 2,000 years ago to now and met us today and met us around this time, they might be asking the question, why why do you all wear these red flowers? Because the symbol wouldn't have any resonance for them. It wouldn't have a story behind it. They wouldn't know the story and the events that the poppy came from. And in these few moments together, what I'd like to do is to time-travel back 2,000 years to um, a phrase of John the Baptist's. And he points to a very powerful symbol of sacrifice and it's based on a story and events and upon some poetry. But uh, that symbol may not mean much to us today. It meant a lot to the people then, but not much so much to to us today. Um, So, just to introduce for a few moments also what we're going to do through to the end of the year. Uh, and particularly through Advent, is to is to have a little series called God's ID. What is God like? What is He like? And as we read John's Gospel, which is John's, which is God's identity document, if you like, uh, where John really obsesses about what God is like, and and comes to the conclusion that God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. And we're going to look at a number of different. Uh, words and metaphors and stories about Jesus that tell us what God is like, things like bread and vine and word and light and flesh. And and today I just want to say a few words about the symbol Lamb, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And in fact, knowing Jesus as the Lamb of God is going to make a difference to you and to me every day of our lives. So let's hear a reading where John talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God and Doug Owen is just going to read that now. Hi ENC, Doug here. Today we're reading from John chapter 1 verses 29 to 34. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thanks Doug as well. Uh, Thanks for reading that. So just to start with, John the Baptist, who is he? He's, he's the forerunner to Jesus, and uh, he's baptizing people in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people into repentance, to saying sorry for the things that they've done wrong. And um, some heavies, if you like, from the temple come to find out who he is, and they, they want to inquire who he is. And they say, look, are you the Messiah? And John says, no. And they say, are you Elijah? And he says, no. And he says, they say, are you the prophet? And he says, no, again. So, they say, who who are you? They want to know who this person is who's creating a disturbance. And um, John says to them, I am a voice. I am a voice. And, he, and he's repeating the words of Isaiah the prophet. He says, I'm a voice. One crying in the wilderness makes straight the way for the Lord. So, he identifies himself as a voice. He's the person who goes ahead of Uh, The the Lord, the Messiah, coming to prepare the way. I mean, we've been obsessed with the American elections. It's a bit like he's a Secret Service agent clearing the road and saying, make way for the president, make way for the president, get out the way, here he comes. So, while John is baptizing people, and he baptizes Jesus for repentance, Jesus comes towards him. This is the first time we see Jesus in the Gospels. And what John does is he uses his voice and he says literally these words, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a startling moment. And the symbolism, the Lamb of God, doesn't mean that much to us. It meant a lot more to his hearers then. And unless you you are Jewish or you know the Hebrew Scriptures well, you won't know the stories very well or the events that tell you what John is really saying about Jesus and why that's important for you and for me. In fact, you know, if somebody said these days, look, the Lamb, it probably means you're just arriving at a pub. So it has a different resonance these days to uh uh, what it says in the scripture but i want to look at what it says in the scripture because i think it will uh mean a lot to you and to me and like the poppy the lamb refers to an event and some poetic writing so first of all the event the event is back in exodus which is the second book of the bible and uh, you might know the story of moses moses and pharaoh and moses is going to pharaoh And the people of god are held in slavery and oppression and moses goes to him and he says let my people go let my people go and uh there's there's a real kind of set to for a long time and this is the final part of it where uh moses says to the people of god i want you as each household to slaughter a lamb and to smear the lamb's blood on the doorposts and on the lintel and then that evening, what happened is the judgment of God uh, was visited on the violence and oppression of, uh, of, the, of Pharaoh's nation. And, uh, and as judgment went over and people were killed, what happened was, was that if you had blood, the lamb's blood smeared on the door, then the judgment of God literally passed over and you were unaffected. And straight after this judgment had come, pharaoh told the people of god to leave and they had their freedom so the event describes how god hates evil and uh, he judges it and that's a good thing that is a good thing we need a god who hates evil but the la- the lamb's blood meant protection from that judgment and death and spared the people of god from the consequence of evil which led then to freedom and slavery and going to live in the promised land eventually. And we sang about it earlier, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. That's that's where they got to after this moment. So that's the event. And so when, when John says, look, the Lamb of God, they start thinking Passover. They start thinking about protection from judgment, protection from death. The second thing is the poetry. And it's the poetry of Isaiah the prophet. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is talking about this rather mysterious person called the Suffering Servant. Now, we as Christians see Jesus as the Suffering Servant, but uh, Isaiah is describing this rather mysterious figure in, uh, in chapter 53, and um, he talks about sheep and lambs, and he first of all talks about us being like sheep. He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, we've all gone our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the Suffering Servant. The sin of us all. So, all our sin has been put onto the suffering servant. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, the suffering servant was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So, this is really, really well-known poetry for the people of God. As as John says, look, the Lamb of God. And so, the lamb is, is a very vulnerable figure someone wounded and killed for our forgiveness for our healing and for our freedom and the image also echoes to John's hearers really of the regular practice of slaughtering of lambs as sacrifice for sin so when John points towards Jesus at the beginning of this gospel and says in effect he says I've been baptizing people for a while now one by one so that they can repent of their sins but now look Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away it all. And he's therefore tapping into a wealth of images and stories that everyone has grown up with, and they really know what he's saying. So, the other thing, I guess, is most startlingly, Jesus, he's appearing for the first time in the Gospels, right at the beginning of the story, and what John is doing is he's pointing at him and he's saying, Here he comes, and the first thing I'm going to tell you about is his death. I'm going to tell you about his destiny, where he's going to get to eventually, that he will take away the sin of the whole world. So Jesus is going to go innocently and vulnerably to his death at the hands of others, and through his death, he will spare us death and judgment and will forgive us our sins by taking them on himself. So... Couple of, a couple of other things to say. The first thing is to get straight that Jesus the Lamb would be killed for our sin, which would then be taken away. Now, this sounds important, it sounds very costly. And in our culture, we don't talk about sin much, and possibly we don't even talk about it that much in church. Now, uh, if, you, if, if you said the word sin to a friend or what, what they feel that might mean, uh, because it's quite a Bible word, they might think it sounded like something enjoyable and a little bit naughty. But in fact, sin in Scripture indicates a much darker reality. And if we're, honest, if we're honest in the small hours of the night when we wake up and we think about our lives, we know we're broken. We know, in fact, in the whole world there's a crack in everything, that, not, that nothing is quite right. I really like what the writer Francis Spufford wrote. He's a novelist, and then he wrote a book called Unapologetic, which is all about uh, being a Christian, which I think surprised some of his readers. And he describes sin as HPTFTU, which means the human propensity to, well, muck things up, I guess. And we talk a lot about virtue in our culture, I suppose, and, and in our culture, we generally signal our own virtue and righteousness, and it's much easier to point out other people's sin, and much of public life and much of social media is about this, and, and so our culture focuses particularly on that. If, you, if we went back a few hundred years, say to the 17th century, when the Book of Common Prayer was written, um, we might have signaled much more our sin and unworthiness as opposed to our virtue, in the general confession and in uh, when we're confessing sins with the book of common prayer it says we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep that's isaiah again we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts we have offended against thy holy laws we have left undone those things we ought to have done and we've done those things we ought not to have done and there is no health in us but thou o lord have mercy upon us miserable offenders so we can hear those words and, and feel that there is too much of a woe is me, I am a slug theology. But it acknowledges a truth that we miss at our peril, that we uh we all sin. So the wonderful democratic reality is really that all this is what Christianity says, is that all human beings everywhere. Are wonderfully made in the image of God. That's one side of things. That we all have the spark of divinity in us, that everyone you meet is made in the image of God. At the same time, everyone, you and I, and everyone we meet is marred by sin. Everyone is broken. There's a crack in the whole world. And both those things go together. And in different cultures, we tend to lean on one side or the other a little bit more. But it's important to acknowledge the reality, particularly in our culture, that each one of us is marred by sin, and we need someone to rescue us from that. And when we look deep in our hearts, we know that we often go our own way rather than God's, which is the essence of sin. And we trust in our own instincts instincts more than God's leading And as St. Paul says later in Romans, there is no one righteous, not one. And the thing about sin is that it leads to us carrying around guilt in our lives, carrying around shame, and it leads us to separation from God and eventually death. And the good news is, is that God wants to help us out of that. So that's the first thing, just to take really seriously the darker reality that we are marred by sin. But the second thing that John says when he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is that he takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin. So what is God like? He's like Jesus, the Lamb of God. He makes himself vulnerable on purpose and he offers himself for slaughter on a cross. And on the cross he takes upon himself the sin of the world, which is yours and mine. Which at that moment separates Jesus from God and it's as if like Passover his blood if I can say this is smeared on us and so God's judgment passes over us and we go free through Jesus's sacrifice we have peace with God through his separation we have connection with God and through his death we have life So my question to you is, do you want to know God better? Do you want to know God better during this time? I would really encourage you to get to know Jesus as the Lamb of God. Because God recognizes that you and I, we can't fix ourselves. We can't help ourselves enough. We can't read enough self-help books to get ourselves sorted out. We need agency from somewhere else. We need help that we do have a human propensity to muck things up and so god sends his son the lamb to die in our place so we can be free of the consequences of our sin and brokenness we can be we can have guilt lifted from us we can have shame drawn out of us so that we can be free so that we can be clean so we can live a life of confidence before God and before our friends and families. It really is the most amazing thing to know that you're forgiven. It is um, the astonishing gift of God that he would do that for us, send his son to be a lamb. And so I want to ask you today to pray with me that you know the forgiveness of God in an extraordinarily powerful and fresh way. And if you're watching this and you've never known the forgiveness of God, you've never really stepped into a relationship with God, then the time for you to do it is now. I really encourage you and urge you to do that because God is close to you. He is nearer than breathing to you. And He comes to help us. He comes to save us and rescue us. And He is right at your door So let's pray together, shall we? So just settle your heart, and just know that God is with you. And just pray with me, if you will. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his death on the cross, which he went to voluntarily. I thank you for his sacrifice so that I could be free. And so I ask you, Lord, that you would forgive me my sins, forgive me where I've gone my own way. And today, I just gladly turn back to you. I turn towards you. And as I turn, I find you running towards me. Lord, let my sins be forgiven. Let my heart go free. And come and fill me with your Holy Spirit now, I pray. Fill me with your Spirit so that I'll be, I will know this in the depths of my being. I'll be filled with your presence and your power. You set my feet on a rock for these days ahead. Thank you, Jesus, Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus, Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. So with that prayer in your heart, we're gonna gonna sing one more song, uh, and uh, Emmy and her team are gonna lead us in that.